0: All right, well, thank you, Josh. Yeah, I, I met um, Pastor Kevin years ago. Uh, my wife and I served in Bucharest, Romania, as missionaries. And when he was serving as the youth pastor down in um, Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri, uh, we connected back then and been friends over the years. You guys have a, a wonderful man and a godly man um, as a, an under-shepherd here. So make sure you appreciate him um, and voice your thanks when he comes back this summer. Uh, So I serve uh, our district, the EFCA Central, and a a lot of what we do um, is helping our churches become life-giving churches, basically making sure our churches are making disciples of Jesus Christ and and multiplying out and serving and loving their communities well. And so we come along outside all of our churches and just love them and and pray for them um, and and encourage them in the ways that God has gifted them. Um, It's interesting, over the last two weeks, I had met with two different pastors that kind of shared the story of Lighthouse, how it had been birthed out of Indianola in Carlisle and then moved up here. And you guys have a great reputation as well as just a legacy of that step of faith to start a new church in a place that needs one. And we need more churches that have that heart and have that heart to continue to expand out into new communities that don't have gospel preaching churches. Uh, But thank you so much for the the privilege of being here today. Today I'm going to be speaking from Mark chapter 1, um, verses 35 to 39. And as we're in the the book of Mark today, I just want to kind of give a a brief introduction. If we were to give a, a theme to the book of Mark, it would be an encounter with Jesus. Because that's what we see passage after passage after passage, we see all these people from different walks of life encountering Jesus. And so basically, if you just read through the book of Mark, it answers these questions. What does it look like for a sick person to encounter Jesus? What does it look like for a rich person to encounter Jesus? A poor person? Someone with with leprosy? What does it look like for a potential disciple of Jesus to encounter him? What does it look like for a Pharisee to encounter him? And that's what we see again and again throughout the book is is all of these different encounters with Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 1, it kind of sets the stage where where it's very short little sections of Scripture that describe different things. One of the first things we see in Mark uh, chapter 1 is Jesus encountering his disciples before they're his disciples. Two of them, James and John, they're brothers, they're out fishing with their father. And Jesus comes and he calls them. He calls them to to leave behind their life, leave behind their career, leave behind their family, and follow him. And they do. They encounter Jesus in this way. Next we see him and his growing group of disciples travel to a synagogue, like basically a church, a place where they come on the Sabbath to, to worship and hear the scriptures read. And Jesus stands up and he begins to teach. And everyone there knows that as Jesus is speaking, something is different than normal. They begin to encounter the scriptures in a different way. And they begin to whisper amongst themselves, wow, he teaches with authority. There's something different about the way he teaches. And they encounter God through him teaching the word of God. And next, as he's teaching... Someone who is uh, oppressed by a demon stands up and, and screams at him. What do you have to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And, and as that happens, he rebukes this, person, this evil spirit, and, and he sends it away, and, and this person falls onto the ground, there's convulsions, but this evil spirit leaves. And now everyone who is there, who, who encounters his teaching and said, his teaching was powerful now had a whole new encounter because they're realizing that as they watch Jesus, they are watching the power and authority of God uh, basically lived out in front of them. From there, Jesus travels to one of his disciples' mother-in-law's house, Peter's mother-in-law, and she is sick in bed. And he goes upstairs and he heals her. He miraculously heals her. And basically, what happens next is news spreads from these people who have encountered Jesus. It begins to go out into the community. And you can just imagine being one of the disciples who just kind of walked through that day. You were at the synagogue. You heard Jesus' powerful teaching. You saw the demon cast out. You saw Peter's mother-in-law now healed. And you're hanging around in this house. And all of a sudden, you begin to, as the sun goes down, it starts to get dark. You begin to hear more And more and more noise outside. And you go over and you peek your head outside, and the whole town has descended upon the house. They've surrounded this house. And as they come, basically, it's all these people who know someone who's oppressed by an evil spirit. They know someone who's sick. They know someone who's hurting. They know someone who's in need. And they've brought them all to Jesus. And one by one by one, he heals them. He sends away these spirits. He, he set these people free from the things that hold them captive in their life. And the disciples just watch this again and again and again. And they begin to realize this is, it wasn't just a one and done today. It wasn't a fluke coming face to face with Jesus. Encountering Jesus is encountering the power and authority of God here on earth. This is what it says in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So what we have here is basically back-to-back-to-back to back to back miracles happening, energy, excitement. I can just imagine being there and seeing this crowd coming because nothing excites everyone like a crowd, right? And just imagine watching all of these things and then going back into the house after he's healed all these people and laying down on the ground that night and going, wow, Jesus' ministry is about to take off. Like news is going to spread from this. And just the excitement of going, wow, what can Jesus not do? And that thought begins to go, what can he do for me? What can he do for my family? What can he do for my community? What can he do for the nation of Israel? What can he do for the world? And as they just think about these things, they drift off to sleep. What, What happens next in verse 35, it says, very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he got up and went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Jesus gets up in the middle of the night while everyone is still asleep. And in these old houses in Israel, they're very small. I can just kind of picture him stepping over people because they're all sleeping all over the floor and going over to the door and making sure it doesn't creak as he opens it. And he slips off into the night so that he can be alone, so that he could have quiet time, not disturbed by other people, alone with his heavenly Father. And he spends the rest of the night there in solitude with God the Father. Well, the disciples wake up. Verse 36. And and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And so what happens here is, is there's tons of energy and excitement, and Jesus does all these miracles, and they all go in the house, and they go to bed, and he gets up early and goes off to pray. Well, in the morning, everyone who was healed, everyone who had evil spirits cast away, everyone who was set free, they went out and got their friends. And once again now, the surrounding community has descended on the town. They've all come back, and they're looking for Jesus. The disciples wake up. Jesus is gone. They're like, I don't know. Where did he go? I'm not sure. And so they begin to go looking for him. And they finally find him. And they say, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. They're back. Let's go. Let's go back to the house. Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus' response is, no. We're leaving. We're going to the next town. Can you imagine being Peter? This is his mother-in-law's house. This would be where he's from. These would be his neighbors, his friends, some of his family members. These people would know him. He would know them. And they're there waiting at the house for Jesus to come back, and Jesus is moving on to the next place. Can you imagine how disappointed they would be? I just put myself in Peter's shoes and go, wow, that would be really awkward. To go, hey, sorry, he's not coming back. He he actually left. You guys need to go home. You see, so often we can read through these passages and we can miss these things. Well, we can miss the amount of people that might be disappointed by Jesus' decisions. Because if there's a big group of people over here waiting to be served, you'd expect him to go back and serve them, right? Well, why does Jesus do this? This is something we see so often in Scripture. is Jesus breaks away by himself to be alone with his heavenly Father. And as he's alone with his Heavenly Father, his Heavenly Father directs him and leads him. And many times this is in a direction that that other people don't expect or might not want. His priority is always to be alone with the Father and be directed by the Father. This is his number one priority in everything and this is how he utilizes his time. This is what we see his focus is in life. I mean... For us, every single day, we, we make decisions on what is important to us and, and what, how we prioritize our time and how we use our time. Like every single Saturday, we wake up and we think about, what am I going to do today? Am I going to work on the house? Am I going to spend time with the kids? Am I going to take my spouse on a date? Am I going to... You name it, there's an endless amounts of things to do, and we make these decisions on what we think is important. And many times, these decisions will be influenced by the people in our lives, what do they think is important so that we don't disappoint them or, or that we make sure that, that we serve them in some way. But what we see from Jesus is that being alone with the Father many times is even more important than serving people. I remember uh, when we first came back from, from Bucharest, to Romania, it was a, a rough transition so in, in Bucharest, we, we lived there for two years. It's a city of a, a few million people. We did not own a car, and so that meant uh, we used public transportation for everything. And it was a very busy pace of life, and it was a very busy pace of ministry where I'd get up in the morning and leave pretty early and walk 15 minutes to the subway, ride the subway for 20 minutes, get off, walk another 10 minutes, and have a meeting w- with a church leader, and then I'd drink coffee with them, and then get back on the subway, go to a different part of town, meet with somebody else take a bus to a different part of town, and then have to walk 20 minutes to meet with a different pastor, and then I'd get home at the end of the day. So pretty much all I would do is be traveling around and drinking coffee and meeting with people, and there's always something to do. It was was very busy. And then we moved from Bucharest to Bland, Missouri. And Bland lives up to his name. It's, It's about 500 people, which is what the sign says. It's probably significantly less than that now. Uh, And there's just not a whole lot of things going on there. Our church, I had a wonderful church family. I had the the blessing of serving. We had about 70 people. And and so there was just not a whole lot of things to do. A lot of our people would commute uh, up to an hour and a half to St. Louis or to other cities. And so they'd be gone early in the morning, get home late at night, and then take care of their cattle. And so there wasn't people to meet with during the day. And so I'm coming from Bucharest, and I'm always always on the go, 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 doing all these things. And I come to Bland and like day one is like, what am I supposed to do? And where are all the people? Like, there's, there's just nobody here. Like, and it was just, it, uh, the illustration I used, it was like getting off of a high-speed train and it didn't stop for me. You, you step off and go, where it was just, it was so rough because my natural tendency is to accomplish, is, is to do, is to work. And I was placed in this location where there was nothing to do. There, there were, you could love people and you could pray for people. And I, and I visited nursing homes and I did what I could, but there was just not very much to do. And I remember just sitting down and beginning to, to sit down in the sanctuary and pray. And God, like, God, I don't even know what to do right now. I like, why don't you pray for people? I said, like, oh, I guess that makes sense. So I started walking around in the sanctuary praying for the people in our service. And I'd sit down in their seats, because every one of you probably has your assigned seat, and you go, oh, who, what should I pray for this person for? And, and what, I, what began to happen then is I began to read the scriptures in a different way, and I began to encounter Jesus in a different way. A lot of it was very helpful through this book I read. It's called An Unhurried Life by Alan Fadling. And in it, he asked this, this other um, theologian named Dallas Willard a question, and he says, if you could describe Jesus in just one word... What would it be? And he thought about it for a minute and he said, relaxed. I would describe Jesus as relaxed. And I remember re- hearing that and reading that and going, what? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, when you read through the scriptures, Jesus is always doing. He, he's, he's casting out demons. He, he's healing sick people. He's traveling here. He, he's teaching. He's preaching. He's doing. And then when I begin to read through the Gospels with that in mind, you see, wow, Jesus is never in a hurry. He says he's going to one place and then he'll stop because he sees Zacchaeus on the side. He's going to another place and he'll stop and he'll interact with with a woman who needs healed. No matter where he's going, people are always his priority. He's never in a hurry, as you read through Scripture, you see this. And one of the most vital aspects of Jesus' relaxed, unhurried life is he constantly makes unhurried prayer with his Father a priority. No matter where he's going, who's around, what he's doing, unhurried time with his Heavenly Father in prayer is always a priority. We see this in passages like Luke 5.16 but Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark 6.46, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6.12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Luke 5.16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Luke 9, 18. And it happened while he was praying alone. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. It's what Jesus does on his last night, but before he's arrested. Why does he do this? Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. If there was anyone in the history of the world that did not need to do this, it would have been him, right? Why does he do this? Why does he make unhurried, alone time with his heavenly Father his priority? He does this because everything Jesus does in his life and ministry flows out of his relationship with his heavenly Father. I'll say it again. Everything Jesus does in his life and ministry, flows out of his relationship with his heavenly Father. He's constantly directed by the Father to do the things he does. So at times, he sends his disciples away so that he can pray. At times, he sends crowds of people away so that he can pray. He says, no, no, no you need to leave. I need to be alone with my Father. In in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, that's the passage of the the feeding of the 5,000. If you read it, this this massive crowd of people, this multitude of people comes to hear his teaching, and he miraculously feeds these 5,000 people, and they don't leave. Why? Because they're hungry for more teaching. You're like, oh, that's exciting. And what does he do? He says, you need to go home now. Because I need to go up to the mountain by myself and pray. And you go, but that's, that's an awesome ministry opportunity that he could have had. But what we see is he sends them away because time with his heavenly Father is his priority. I, I remember when I was first in Bland and first beginning to, to get into this realizing Jesus' unhurriedness and beginning to pray more, I, I remember... After I would sit down and I'd walk around my, my, the church sanctuary praying for people, I'd go, what am I supposed to do now? And I was like, why don't you go out into the community and pray? I was like, okay. And so I just began walking the, the streets of our little town. It didn't take long to get all the way around. I, I would just walk around and I would pray. And I would have the craziest things happen. Once I was walking along and there was like this little Y coming, and I see this woman coming, walking up the street. And you could just tell by looking at her that she, she came from a, a rough background. And we just happened to walk up to the corner at the same place. And I was just walking around praying. I was like, hey, how are you doing today? And she goes, not good. I said, yeah? She goes, yeah. I've been addicted to drugs for about a decade. I moved here to live with my boyfriend. And he just got arrested. And she just pours out her life. I'm like, <laughs> uh, okay. And we just walk together for about five blocks. And she goes, this is my house. I said, hey, can I pray for you? And I just prayed with her that, that God would set her free from, from the, the bondage she has in her life and that she would find freedom and she would find hope. Got her name, said, hey, I'd love to see you on Sunday. Gave her my number. Never saw her again. We had a huge drug population that would just transient, move in and move out within a few days. But it's one of those things where I don't know how God uses that, but I do know I never would have even been walking around in my community if I wouldn't have seen that this is what Jesus does so often. He he slows down and he says no to so many things. Many times, basically crushing people's expectations of how he should be living his life. Disappointing people so that he can be in prayer and that he can basically be going where the Father wants him to go. When you encounter Jesus... As the unhurried Lord and Savior, who is relaxed enough to set aside time, time in solitude to pray, when you begin to do that, it changes you. It changes your priorities, it changes how you spend your time, and it changes how you view the world. And this is what we see Jesus modeling for us in this passage. This is one of those things that's very hard for us as Americans because we are very good at getting things done, at accomplishing things. It's just from day one as we're kids where we're taught basically how to organize and priorities and we're just good at accomplishing things. So we can fill our days from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed with a schedule and we can stick to it and we can define ourselves by how much we get accomplished in a day. And I know it's so easy for me to do this. I mean, even though I've learned many things over the years, I realized you always have to relearn them. Like stepping into my new role up here, I'm a lot more busy than I was in Bland. We have 89 churches in Iowa that I helped serve and another three in South Dakota. And and I try to get out to every single one of them. And so I constantly am wanting to do and constantly wanting to travel. And this week, once again, the Lord was calling my heart back to Mark. Are you basically believing that you can go out and accomplish all of these things? Or are you making unhurried prayer time a priority? It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of life that we miss what's most important. And so today as I begin to wrap up, what I want to do is something I don't normally do. Is I have a question is how do we do this? How do we make unhurried prayer time with our Father a priority. And I have four steps, which is interesting because I have never have steps in my sermon, but I do today. And step number one is this. How do we get alone with the Father? Step number one, be okay with disappointing other people's expectations of you. The older we get, the more we realize that everyone has a plan for your life. Your boss, Your spouse, your kids, they definitely know how you should be spending your time. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone else has a plan for your life. And to truly basically be in tune with God's plan for your life, you will have to be okay with failing to meet everyone's expectations of you. And what it is, it comes down to the hard question of, am I more focused on being pleasing to God Or am I more focused on pleasing the people in my life? Because many times serving God and getting alone with God will mean that other people, the things they want me to do, will not get done. And that's why step number one with with being okay with getting alone with the Father is is being okay with disappointing others' expectations of you. Step number two, getting less to do, getting less on your to-do list done. I know this one is especially painful for me because it's so easy. You ever notice that no matter what is on your to-do list, when you get it done, it replenishes itself? You could do everything on it, but by the next day, you have so many more things to do. And so often, if you do not view getting alone with the Father as a priority and, and put it on your list, it will not happen. And that's why we must make it a priority in this way. Step number three, pray through your worries and concerns first. If you are intentional to get alone with your heavenly Father, I pretty much guarantee when you do, you will go over and you will sit down, and the first thing that will happen is you will be bombarded by worries and stresses about your kids, about finances, about work, about any of these things. And many times what they will do is those things will pull you out of that time to go, oh, I need to go get this done. I should just go do this. I can do two more things and then but when you sit down with your heavenly father and those things come to mind, make that the content of your prayer. And the last thing, step 4, reevaluate what is directing your life. Reevaluate what is directing your life. Do others in your life dictate how you spend time? Do you live your life in a way that the world would view you as successful? Do you strive to please people? Jesus was okay with not meeting others' expectations because to him, pleasing his heavenly Father was his ultimate priority. And that's why what we see in this passage is him breaking away from people to be alone with the Father and then after he spends time in prayer, the Father directs him on somewhere else. It's this model we see all throughout the Gospels that Jesus is constantly in communion with the Father. He's constantly praying to the Father. And it's this alone time with the Father that directs him to go where he is to go. Are you doing this in your life? Is getting alone with the Father a priority to you? Do you you allow yourselves to sit in silence and hear his voice? This is what is most important in our life, is our relationship with our Father. Is that how you are spending your time? Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your Word. We thank you so much that you, you love us and you care for us. And we thank you so much, Jesus Christ, that you lived your life in a way that was an example for us. That you constantly broke away from people and spent time in solitude so that you could hear from your Heavenly Father. I just ask that today you would allow us to hear from you in that way. I pray that you would allow us just to quiet our hearts that you would instill in us the intentionality to be alone with you to schedule that time even if it means disappointing and not getting things done that other people might want us to do i just pray that you'd give us the boldness and the courage and the strength to be obedient to you and to make this a priority may you fill us up with your joy and peace And may we be directed by you in all we do in our lives. We just pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.